Hello everyone! My name is Shreya, and you're listening to the Harry Potter Podcast. In which every episode I read a chapter of Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. In the last episode, we read chapter 11, Quidditch. In this episode, we will be reading chapter 12, The Mirror of Arised. So let's begin! Chapter 12, The Mirror of Arised. Christmas was coming. One morning in mid-December, Hogwarts woke to find itself covered in several feet of snow. The lake froze solid, and the Weasleytons were punished for bewitching several snowballs so that, that they followed Quirrell around, bouncing off the back of his turban. The few owls that managed to battle their way through the stormy sky to deliver a post had to be nursed back to health by Hagrid before they could fly again. No one could wait for the holidays to start. On the Gryffindor common room and the Great Hall had roaring fires, the droughty corridors had become icy and a bitter wind rattled the windows in the classrooms. Worst of all were Professor Snape's classes down in the dungeons, where their breath rose in a mist before them and they kept as close as possible in their hot cauldrons. I do feel so sorry, said Draco Malfoy, one potions class, for all the people who have to stay in Hogwarts for Christmas, because they're not wanted at home. He was looking over at Harry as he spoke. Crab and Goyle chuckled. Harry, who was measuring out powdered spine of lionfish, ignored them. Malfoy had been even more unpleasant than usual since the Quidditch match. Disgusted that Slytherin had lost, he tried to get everyone laughing at how a wide-mouthed tree frog would be replacing Harry as Seeker next. Then he'd realized that nobody found this funny, because they were also impressed at the way Harry had managed to stay on his bucking broomstick. So Malfoy, jealous and angry, had gone back to taunting Harry about having no proper family. It was true that Harry wasn't going back to Privet Drive for Christmas. Professor McGonagall had come round the week before, making a list of students who would be staying for the holidays, and Harry had signed up at once. He didn't feel sorry for himself at all. This would probably be the best Christmas he'd ever had. Ron and his brothers were staying too because Mr. and Mrs. Weasley were going to Romania to visit Charlie. When they left the dungeons at the end of potions, they found a large fir tree blocking the corridor ahead. Two enormous feet sticking out of the bottom and a loud puffing sound told them that Hagrid was behind it. Hi, Hagrid. Want to help? Ron asked, sticking his head through the branches. Nah, I'm all right, thanks, Ron. Would you mind moving out of the way? came Malfoy's cold draw from behind. Are you keeping to earn some extra money, Weasley? Hoping to be gamekeeper yourself when you leave Hogwarts, I suppose. The hut of Hagrid's must seem like a place compared to where your family is used to. Ron divided at Malfoy just as Snape came up the stairs. Weasley! Ron let go of the front of Malfoy's robes. He was provoked, Professor Snape said Hagrid, sticking his huge hairy face out of the, behind the tree. Malfoy was insulting his family. 
be that as it may be frightened against Hogwarts rules, Hagrid. Five points from Gryffindor Weasley, and be grateful it isn't more. Move along, all of you. Malfoy, Crab, and Goyle push through past the tree, scattering needles everywhere and smirking. I'll get him, said Ron, grinding his teeth at Malfoy's back. One of these days, I'll get him. I hate them both, said Harry, Malfoy, and Snape. Come on, cheer up, it's nearly Christmas, said Hagrid. Tell you what, come and meet me at the Great Hall, looks like a treat. So Harry, Ron, and Hermione followed Hagrid at his treat off to the Great Hall. Rufus and McGonagall and Professor Flitwick were busy with the Christmas decorations. Ah, Hagrid the last tree, put in the far corner, would you? The hall looked spectacular. Festoons of holly and mistletoe hung all around the walls, and no fewer than twelve towering Christmas trees stood around the room, some with sparkling and tiny icicles, some glittering with hundreds of candles. How many days you got to your holidays? Hagrid asked. Just one, said Hermione. And that reminds me, Harry, Ron, we've got half an hour before lunch starts. We should be in the library. Oh, yeah, you're right said Ron, tearing his eyes away from Professor Flitwick, who had golden bubbles blossoming out of his wand and was tailing them over the branches of the new tree. The library, said Hagrid, following them out of the hall. Just before the holidays. Keen, aren't you? Oh, we're not working, Harry told him brightly. Ever since you mentioned Nicholas Flamel, we've been trying to find out who he was. You what? Hagrid looked shocked. Listen here. I've told you. Drop it. It's nothing to do what the guard's guarding. We just want to know who Nicholas Femel is. That's all. Said Hermione. Unless you'd like to tell us and save us the trouble. Harry added. We must have been through hundreds of books already. And we can't find him anywhere. Just give us a hint. I know. I've read his name somewhere. I'm saying nothing, said Hagrid flatly. Just have to find out ourselves then, said Ron, and they left Hagrid looking disgruntled and hurried off to the library. They had indeed been searching books for Flamel's name ever since Hagrid had let it slip. But how else were they going to find out? Was Snape was trying to steal. The trouble was, it was very hard to know where to begin, not knowing what Flamel might have done to get himself into a book. He wasn't in the great wizards of the 20th century, or notable magical names of our time. He was missing, too, from important modern magical discoveries in a recent study of developments in wizardry. And then, of course, there were a sheer size of the library, tens of thousands of books, thousands of cells, Hundreds of narrow rows. Hermione took out a list of subjects and titles she had decided to search, while Ron strode off down the row of books and started pulling them off of shelves at random. Harry wandered over to the restricted session. He had been wondering for a while if Flamel wasn't somewhere in there. Unfortunately, he needed a specially signed note from one of the teachers to look in the restricted books, and he knew he'd never get one. 
These were the books containing powerful dark magic never taught at Hogwarts and only read by older students studying a dance defense against the dark arts. What are you looking for, boy? Nothing, said Harry. Madame French in the library brandished a feather duster at him. You'd better get out, then. Go on, out. Wishing he had been quicker to think of some story, he left the library. He, Ron, and Hermione had already agreed they'd better not ask Madame Prince where they could find them out. They were sure she'd be able to tell him, but they couldn't risk Snape hearing what they were up to. Harry waited outside in the corridor to see if the other two had found anything, but he wasn't very hopeful. They had been looking for a fortnight, after all, but as they only had odd moments between lessons, it wasn't surprised they found nothing. What really needed was a nice long search without Madame Prince breathing down their necks. A few minutes later, Ron and Hermione joined him, shaking their heads. They went off to lunch. You will keep looking while I'm away, won't you? said Hermione, and send me an owl if you find anything. And you know you could ask your parents if they knew who Flamel is, said Ron. I'd be safe to ask them. Very safe. They're both dentists, said Hermione. Once the holidays had started, Ron and Harry were having a good time to think much about Flamel. They had the dormitory to themselves and the common room was far emptier than usual, so they were able to get good armchairs by the fire. They sat by the hour, eating anything they could spear on a toasted fork, bread, crumpets, marshmallows, and plotting ways to getting Malfoy expelled, which were fun to talk about, even if it wouldn't work. Ron also started teaching Harry wizard's chess. This was exactly like Muggle's chess, except what the figures were like which made it a lot like directing troops in a battle. Ron set a very old and battered. Like everything else he owned, it had once belonged to someone in his family. In his case, his grandfather. However, old chessmen weren't a drawback at all. Ron knew them so well, he'd never had trouble getting them to do what he wanted. Harry played with the chessmen Seamus Finnegan had lent him, and they didn't trust him at all. He wasn't a very good player yet, and they kept shouting different bits of advice at him, which was confusing. Don't send me there. Can't you see his knight? Send him. We can afford to lose him. On Christmas Eve, Harry went to bed looking forward to the next day for food and fun, but not expecting any presents at all. When he woke up the next morning, however, the first thing he saw was a small pile of packages at the foot of his bed. Merry Christmas, said Ron, sleeping as Harry scaled out of bed and pulled on his dressing gown. You too, said Harry. Will you look at this? I've got some presents. What did you expect? Turnips? said Ron, turning to his own pile, which was a lot bigger than Harry's. Harry picked up the top parcel. It was wrapped in a thick brown paper and scrawled across. It was to Harry from Hagrid. Inside was a roughly cut wooden flute. Harry, Hagrid was obviously whittled it himself. Harry blew it. It sounded a bit like an owl. A second, very small parcel contained a note. We received your message to enclose your Christmas present. From Uncle Vernon and Aunt Petunia. Tall tape 
was a note was fifty pence piece. That's friendly, said Harry, almost fascinated by fifty pence. Weird, he said. What a shape. This is money. You can keep it, said Harry, laughing at how pleased Ron was. Have it in my aunt and uncle. So who sent these? I think I know who this one's from, said Ron, going a bit pink and pointed the very lumpy parcel. My mum. I told her you didn't expect many presents. And, oh no, he groaned. She's made you a Weasley jumper. Harry had torn open the parcel to find a thick hand-knitted sweater, an emerald green, and a large box of homemade fudge. Every year she makes us a jumper, said Ron, unwrapping his own, and mine's always maroon. That's really nice of her said Harry, trying the fudge, which was very tasty. His next present also contained sweets, a large box of chocolate frogs from Hermione. This left only one parcel. Harry picked it up and felt it. It was very light. He unwrapped it. Something fluid and silvery light went southern to the floor, where it laid gleaming folds. Ron gasped. I've heard of those, he said in a hushed voice, dropping the box of every flavor beans he'd got from Hermione. If that's what I think it is, they're really rare and really valuable. What is it? Harry picked the shining cloth on the floor. It was strange to touch, but it was like water woven into material. It's an invisibility cloak, said Ron, a look of awe on his face. I'm sure it is. Try it on. Harry threw the cloak around his shoulders, and Ron gave a yell. It is. Look down. Harry looked down at his feet, but they had gone. He dashed in the mirror. Sure enough, his reflection looked back at him. Just as his head suspended in midair, his body completely invisible, he pulled the cloak over his head, and his reflection vanished completely. There's a note, said Ron suddenly. A note fell out of it. Harry pulled off the cloak and seized the letter, written in narrow, loopy writing he'd never seen before, were the following words. Your father left this in my possession before he died. It is time I return it to you. Use it well. A very Merry Christmas to you. There's no signature. Harry stared at the note. Ron was admiring the cloak. I'd give anything for one of these, he said. Anything. What's the matter? Nothing, said Harry. He felt very strange. Who had sent the cloak? Had it really once belonged to his father? Before he could say or think anything else, the dormitory door was flung open by Fred and George Weasley. Bound it in. Harry stuffed the cloak quickly out of sight. He didn't feel like sharing it with anyone else. Merry Christmas! Hey, look! Harry's got a Weasley jumper, too! Fred and George were wearing blue jumpers, one with a large yellow F on it, and the other with a large G. Harry's is better than ours, though, said Fred, holding up Harry's jumper. She obviously makes it more effort when you're not in the family. Why aren't you wearing yours, Ron? George demanded, come on, get it on. They're lovely and warm. I hate maroon. Ron moaned half-heartedly as he pulled it over his head. You, ha you haven't got a letter on yours, George observed. I suppose she thinks you don't forget your name, but we're not stupid. We know we're called Dread and Forge. What's all the noise? Percy Weezy stuck his head through the door, looking disapproving. She had clearly come halfway through unwrapping his presents as he, too, carried a lumpy jumper over his arm, which Fred seized. 
P for Prefect. Get it on, Percy. Come on, we're all wearing ours. Even Harry got one. I don't want, said Percy, thinking as a twin forest jumper over his head, knocked out his glasses, asking. And you're not sitting with the prefects today either, said George. Christmas is time for the family. The frog marched Percy from the room, his arms pinned to his sides by his jumper. Harry had never in his life had seen such a Christmas dinner. A hundred fat roasted turkeys, mountains of roast and boiled potatoes, platters of fat chipolatas, tureens of buttered peas, silver boats of thick, rich gravy and cranberry sauce, and stack of wizard's crackers every few feet along the table. These fantastic crackers were nothing like the feedable muggle ones the Dursies usually brought, with their little plastic toy and their flimsy paper hats. Harry put a wizard cracker with, a f with Fred, and it did a bang. It went off in a blast like a cannon and enveloped them all in a cloud of blue smoke. While they were inside, exploded a rear animal's hat and several live wild mice. Up in the high table, the murderer had swapped his pointed wizard's hat for a flowered bonnet and was chuckling merely as a joke. Professor Flitwick had just read him. Flaming Christmas puddings followed the turkey. Percy nearly broke his seat on a silver sickle embedded in a slice. Harry watched Hagrid getting redder and redder in face as he called for more wine. Finally, kissing Professor McGonagall on her cheek, who, to Harry, giggled and blushed, her top hat lopsided. When Harry finally left the table, he was laden down with a stack of things out of crackers, including a pack of non-explodable luminous balloons, a grow-your-own wards kit, and his new wizard's chest set. The white mice had disappeared, and Harry had a nasty feeling they were going to end up in Mrs. Norris's Christmas dinner. Harry and the Weasleys spent a happy afternoon having a furious snowball fight in the grounds. Then, cold, wet, and gasping for breath, they returned to the fire in the Gryffindor common room where Harry broke in his new chess set by losing spectacularly to Ron. He suspected he wouldn't have lost so badly if Percy hadn't tried to help him so much. After a tea of turkey sandwiches, crumpets, trifle, and Christmas cake, everyone felt too full and sleepy to do much before bed except sit and watch Percy chased Fred and George all over Griffin Tower because they had stolen his prefect badge. It had been Harry's best Christmas day ever, yet something had been nagging at the back of his mind all day. Not until he climbed into bed was he free to think about the invisibility cloak and whoever had sent it. Ron, full of turkey and cake, and with nothing mysterious to bother him, fell asleep almost as soon as he'd drawn the curtains of his flower poster. Harry leant over to the side of his own bed and pulled the cloak from under it. His father's. This had been his father's. He let a ma material flow over his hands, smother the silk, light as air, use it well, the note had said. He had to try it now. 
He slipped out of bed and wrapped the cloak around himself. Looking down at his legs, he saw only moonlight and shadow. It was a very funny feeling. Use it well. Suddenly, Harry felt wide awake. The whole Hogwarts was open to him in this cloak. Excitement flooded the foe, as though he stood there in dark and silence. He could go anywhere in this, anywhere, and Filch would never know. Ron grunted in his sleep. Should Harry wake him up? Something held him back, his father's cloak. He felt that this time, the first time, he wanted to use it alone. He crept out of the dormitory, down the stairs, across the common room, and climbed through the portrait hole. Who's there? squacked the fat lady. Harry said nothing. He walked quickly down the corridor. Where should he go? He stopped, his heart racing, and thought, and then it came to it, the restricted section in the library. He'd be able to read as long as he liked, as long as it took to find out who Flamel was. He set off, drawing the invisible cloak tight around him as he walked. The library was pitch black and very eerie. Harry lit a lamp to see his way along the rows of books. The lamp looked as if it was floating along in midair. And even though Harry could feel his arms supporting it, the sight gave him the creeps. The restricted section was right at the back of the library, stepping carefully over the rope which separated these books from the rest of the library. He held up his lamp to read the titles. They didn't tell him much. They were peeling, faded gold letters, spelled words in languages Harry couldn't understand. Some had no title at all. One book had a dark stain on it and looked horribly like blood. The hairs on the back of Harry's neck prickled. Maybe he was imagining it, maybe not, but he thought a faint whisper was coming out from the books, as though they knew someone was there that who shouldn't be. He had started somewhere. Setting the lamp down carefully on the floor, he looked along the bottom shelf for an interesting-looking book. A large black and silver volume caught his eye. He pulled it out with difficulty, but it was very heavy. Balancing it on his knee, let it fall open. A blood-piercing, curdling shriek split the silence. The book was screaming! Harry snapped it shut, but the shriek went on and on. One high, unbroken, ear-splitting note. He stumbled backwards and knocked over his lamp, which, at once, panicking, he heard footsteps coming from the corridor inside, stuffing the shrieking book down on the shelf, and he ran for it. He passed Filch almost in the doorway. Filch's pale, wide eyes looked straight through him, and Harry slipped under Filch's outstretched arm and streaked off up the corridor. The book shrieks still ringing in his ears. He came to a sudden halt in the front of his tall suit of armor. He had been so busy getting away from the library, he hadn't paid attention to where he was going, perhaps because it was very dark. He didn't recognize where he was at all. There was a suit of armor near the kitchens, he knew, but he must be five floors above there. You asked me to come directly to you, Professor, if anyone was wandering around at night and someone's been in the library restricted section. Harry felt the blood. Harry felt the blood drain out of his face. Wherever he was, Filch must know a shortcut, because his soft, greasy voice was getting near, and to his horror, it was Snape who replied. The restricted section? Well, they can't be far. We'll catch them. 
Harry stood rooted to the spot as Filch and Snape came around the corner ahead. They couldn't see him, of course, but it was a narrow corridor, and if they must came nearer and nearer, they'd knock right into him. The cloak didn't stop him being solid. He backed away as quickly as he could. A door stood ajar to his left. It was his only hope. He squeezed through it, holding his breath, trying not to move. And to his relief, he managed to get inside the room without their noticing anything. They walked straight past, and Harry leant against the wall, breathing deeply, listening to their footsteps dying away. That had been a close, very close. It was a few seconds before he'd noticed anything at all. With the room he had hidden in, it looked like a disused classroom. The dark shapes of desks and chairs were piled against the walls, and there was an upturned waste paper basket. But propped against the wall facing him was something that didn't look as if it belonged there. Something that looked as if someone had just put it there to keep it out of the way. It was a magnificent mirror, as high as the ceiling, with an ornate gold frame standing on two clawed feet. There was an inscription carved around the top. Erisdra irbu oit ub carfoyoit on wopski. His panic fading now, that there was no sound of Filch and Snape. Harry moved nearer to the mirror, wanted to look in it himself, but see no reflection. He stepped in front of it. He had to clap his hands to his mouth to stop himself from screaming. He whirled around. His heart was pounding far more fiercely than what the book had screamed, for he had not seen himself in the mirror, but a whole crowd of people standing right behind him. But the room was empty. Breathing very fast, he turned slowly back to the mirror. There he was, reflecting in it, white and scared-looking, and there, reflected behind him, were at least ten olders. He looked over his shoulder, but still, no one was there. Or were they invisible, too? Was he, in fact, in a room of invisible people, and this mirror's trick was that it reflected them, invisible or not? He looked in the mirror again. A woman standing right behind his reflection was smiling at him and waving. He reached out a hand and felt the air behind him. If she was really there, he'd touch her. Their reflections were so close together, but he only felt air. She was the others, existed only in the mirror. She was a very pretty woman. She had dark red hair, and her eyes, her eyes are just like mine. Harry thought, edging a little closer to the glass, bright green, exactly the same shape. But then he noticed that she was crying, smiling, but crying at the same time. The tall, thin, black-haired man standing next to him put his arm around her. He wore glasses, and his hair was very untidy. It struck up at the back, just like Harry's did. Harry was so close to touching the mirror, now that his nose was nearly touching that of his reflection. Mom, he whispered, Dad. They just looked at him, smiling, and slowly Harry looked into the faces of the other people in the mirror and saw other pairs of green eyes like his, other noses like his, even a little man who looked as though he had Harry's knobbly knees. Harry was looking at his family for the first time in his life.
The potter smiled and waved at Harry, and he started hungrily back at them. His hands pressed flat against the glass as though he was hoping to fall right through it and reach for them. He had a powerful kind of ache inside, half joy, half terrible sadness. How long he stood there, he didn't know. Questions did not fade as he looked until a distant noise brought him back to his senses. He couldn't stay here. He had to find his way back to bed. He tore his eyes away from the mirror's face, whispered, I'll come back, and hurried from the room. You could have woken me up, said Ron crossly. You can't come tonight. I'm going back. I want to show you the mirror. I'd like to see your mum and dad, Ron said eagerly. And I want to see all your family, all the Weasleys you be able to show me your brother older brothers and everyone you can see them any old time said ron just come around my house this summer anyway maybe it only shows dead people shame about not finding famal though have some bacon or something why aren't you eating anything harry couldn't eat he had seen his parents and would be seeing them again tonight he almost forgotten about famal it didn't seem very important anymore. Who cared about a three-headed dog who was guarding? What did it matter if Snape stole it, really? Are you all right? said Ron. You look odd. What Harry feared the most was that he might not be able to find the mirror room again. The throne covered in the cloak, too. They had to walk much more slowly next night. They tried retracing Harry's route from the library, wandering around dark passages for nearly an hour. Freezing, said Ron. Let's forget it and go back. No, Harry hissed. I know it's here somewhere. They passed the ghost of a tall witch gliding the opposite direction, but no one else. Just as Ron started moaning that his feet were all dead with cold, Harry spotted the suit of arm. It's here, just here. They pushed the door open. Harry dropped the cloak on the round his shoulders and ran to the mirror. They were there. His mother and father beamed ahead of him. See? Harry whispered, I can't see anything. Look, look at them. There are loads of them. I can only see you. Look at him properly. Go on. Stand where I am. Harry stepped aside, but right in the front of the room He couldn't see his family anymore. Just Ron in his paisley pajamas. Ron, though, was staring transfixed as an image. Look at me! He said, can you see all your family standing around you? No, I'm alone, but I'm different. I look older. I'm, I'm a head boy. What? I'm wearing a badge like Bill used to, and I'm holding the house cup, and the Quidditch cup, and I'm Quidditch captain too. Ron tore his eyes away from the splendid sight to look excitedly at Harry. Do you think the mayor shows the future? How can it? My family are dead. Let me have another look. You had to it to yourself all last night. Give me a bit more time. You're only holding the Quidditch cup. What's interesting about that? I want to see my parents. Don't push me. A sudden noise around the corridor put to an end of the discussion. They hadn't realized how loud they had been talking. Quick! Ron threw the cloak back over them as the luminous eyes of Mrs. Norris came around the door. Harry and Ron stood quite still, both singing at the same time. Did cloak works on cats? After what seemed an age, she turned to the left. Since safe, she might have gone for filth. I bet she's heard us. Come on. And Ron pulled Harry out of the room. The snow still hadn't melted the next morning. Want to play chess, Harry? said Ron. No. Why don't we go down and visit Hagrid? 
Now, you go. I know what you're thinking about, Harry. The mirror. Don't go back tonight. Why not? I don't know. I just got a bad feeling about it. Anyway, you've got too many close shaves already. Filch, Snape, and Mrs. Norris are wandering around. So what if they can't see you? What if they walk into you? What if someone knocks you over? You sound like Hermione. I'm serious, Harry. Don't go. But Harry could only had one thought in his head, which was to get back in front of the mirror, and Ron wasn't going to stop him. Third night, he found himself more quickly than before. It was walking so fast he had no was making more noise than was wise. But he didn't meet anyone. And there was his mother and father, smiling at him again, and one of his grandfathers nodding happily. Harry sank down to sit on the floor in front of the mirror. There was nothing to stop him staying here all night with his family. Nothing at all. Except, go back again, Harry. Harry felt as though his inside had turned ice. He looked behind him. Sitting on the desk by the wall was none other than Albus Dumbledore. Harry must have walked straight past him, so desperate to get to the mirror. Harry noticed him. I I didn't see you, sir. Strange how short-sighted being invisible can make you, said Dumbledore. And Harry was relieved to see that he was smiling. So, said Dumbledore, slipping off the desk to sit on the floor with Harry, you, like hundreds before you, have discovered the delights of the mirror of Erised. I didn't know it was called that, sir. But I expect you've realized by now what it does. It, well, it shows me, my family, and it showed Ron. I was a head boy. How did you know? I don't need a cloak to become invisible, said Dumbledore. Now, you can think what the mirror of Erised shows us all. Harry shook his head. Let me explain. The happiest man on earth would be able to use the mirror of Erised like a normal mirror. That is, he would look into it and see himself exactly as he is. Does that help? Harry thought. Then he said slowly, it shows us what we want. Whatever we want. Yes and no, said Dumbledore quietly. It shows us nothing more or less than what we deepest, most desperate desire of our hearts. You, you've never known your family. See them standing around you. Ronald Weasley, who has always been overshadowed by his brothers, sees himself standing alone, the best of them all. However, this mirror will give us neither knowledge or truth. Men have wasted away before it, entranced by what they have seen or been driven mad, not knowing if it shows what is real or even possible. The mirror will be moved to a new home tomorrow. Harry, I ask you not to look around for it again. If you ever do run across it, you will now be prepared. It does not to dwell on dreams and forget to live. Remember that. Now why don't you put that admirable cloak back on and got off to bed? Harry stood up. So, Professor Dumbledore, can I ask you something? Obviously, you just done so. Dumbledore smiled. You may ask me one more thing, however. What do you see when you look in the mirror? I, I see myself holding a pair of thick woolen socks. Harry stared. One can never have enough socks, said Dumbledore. Another Christmas has come and gone, and I didn't even get a single pair. People will insist on giving me books. 
It was only when he was back in bed that it struck Harry that Dumbledore might not have been quite truthful. But then he thought, as he shoved Scrabbers off his pillow, that it had been quite a personal question. Thank you for listening to me read Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, Chapter 12, The Mirror of Arised. I hope you enjoyed this chapter, and in the next episode, I will be reading Chapter 13, Nicholas Flamel. If you have any compliments or suggestions regarding this podcast, you can always DM me on the Instagram of the Harry Potter podcast page which is given on my website which is given in the description below i hope you enjoyed this episode and